Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Your co-hosts, Jamie Albright and Sarah Rosette, couldn't be more different. In fact, they're a study in contrasts. However, despite all of their differences, they agree that sharing what they wish they'd known, both the good and the bad, is the key to moving forward. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Them podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And we're here today. Um, social distancing. Yes, it's a new, whole new world since we last recorded a podcast intro. New normal. It's yeah, it is. It's very strange. So first we'll say today we have an interview with Jay Thorne and we recorded it way before all this happened. And so we talk about uh, like podcasting. He has about, I don't know, 47 podcasts or something like that. (laughs) Something something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that and um, collaboration and all kinds of stuff. Uh, Interesting other interesting business models, ways to make money as a writer. So it was, yeah. it was a fun podcast. It's a fun podcast. Jay's so smart and he's such a great, just um, teacher and coach. And he helped me with one of my books and I mean, he's just really great. And it was a great podcast. Yeah. How many so times we, can I say great? I don't know. I'm sure we'll get in there again. <laughs> I'm sure I will. <laughs> so we got that coming up, but um, so what's been going on with you this week? Well, it's been an interesting week, an interesting time. Uh, We're just home. My husband's home. Uh, My daughter is home. She can't work. And uh, then my other daughter and her kids um, and her husband came to the house, and they're with us now. So just they're only there (laughs) visiting. But, um, yeah, it's just been crazy. It's, It's so funny that this is where we find ourselves, but um, I've tried to stay really positive as much as I can. I get out and walk um, just to kind of, because it's stressful. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, to keep those positive chemicals going and to complete that stress cycle, I try to get out and walk. And Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, that's a lot of togetherness. That's a lot of togetherness. It's a good thing you're an extrovert. Right. And actually right now we're recording in my car, me sitting out of Starbucks again, because just before we started recording, the transformer blew outside of our house. And so then we have, you know, these 86 kids and no electricity. (laughs) So I was like, I got to go. I'm out of here. Bye. I got to go. So I'm sitting in my car, still social distancing, but... Um, yeah, couldn't do it at home. So yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. How about now, you? Well, our house is not that crazy, but, um, our son is home from college and his spring break got extended. Mm-hmm. And so I've been, I delved way too much into the news and it stressed me out. So I'm trying to social distance myself from the news because mm-hmm. I can't handle it too much of that. And, um, so, but I actually am getting some writing done. So I'm happy about that. Me too. Yeah. But, um, I am a little uh, obsessed with the Italian balcony videos. Have you seen those? The videos yes. of the people singing yes. on their balconies. Yes. So, uh-huh. so I allow myself to watch those because they make me feel like everything in the world isn't as horrible as it 
as the news makes it seem. Yeah. I'm obsessed with the memes. Like, uh, in fact, <laughs> we we were just recording a podcast, and my husband sent me a meme. I mean, like, they are hilarious. Some of them are just so so funny. People are so clever, and uh, but yeah, I'm obsessed with those. I, I probably forward three or four to my sisters every day. I'm sure yeah, because they're, like, they're hilarious. Alone. Yeah, they're so yeah. Funny. So, have you seen the one, the little image that it says, you know, uh, what Shakespeare and Isaac Newton and all those people did yeah. during yeah. their quarantine? And so, I'm personally feeling a lot of pressure. So, I that is not attacked. helpful. I'm just going to say right now, I'm feeling attacked by those. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, they're so funny. It's just, they're just hilarious. And so, I mean, you got to do what you can do to stay yeah. positive. And, and if we can laugh at it, then that's yeah. hopefully yeah. good I for mean, our spirits. So that's yeah. good. I mean, just terrible situation for people who are affected, you know, I mean, directly affected and we, our hearts go out to people and uh, the Italians in particular, and just, it's just terrible. But on top of, I mean, we have to learn to rise above it. Yeah, we've got to keep going. Got to do something to keep going. So, so anyway, we hope our listeners are, you know, safe and healthy and being careful and doing good. So, yeah. Well, let's get on with the show with Jay because that was a that was a less stressful time when we were talking to him. Yeah, go back in time when it was nicer. (laughs) All right, here's the interview. So we're super excited to have Jay Thorne with us today. So hi, Jay. Good to have you here. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Jamie. So Jay, tell us a little bit about yourself and about um, the genres you write in. I am a author, teacher, podcaster, and creative living in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I write mostly uh, flavors of sci-fi like post-apoc and dystopian along with some horror and dark fantasy but uh, mostly darker genre fiction awesome so tell us a little bit about um how you came to write that uh well i don't you know i was never one of those kids who was like i'm always i always wanted to be a writer that wasn't me uh i read a lot as a kid but i was never like uh, i played uh, dungeons and dragons as a kid And there was a lot of uh, creative storytelling in that, which was uh, not exactly the same as writing stories. And I was a a dungeon master a lot. So uh, I I found some old uh, graph papers and and, uh, campaigns that I I did when I was like 12 and 13. It's really funny. Uh, But I mentioned that because I really didn't get started writing uh, creatively until well into my 30s. I was... um, I was an educator for for decades, uh, and and I taught writing, but I I, I never wrote creatively. I wrote a, a a lot of other stuff, nonfiction and technical. And right around I guess two thousand seven, two thousand eight, I was in one of those periods, one of those funks you get in as a reader, where you're like, I really love the genre, but like it's all running together, or I'm just not satisfied. And I think like many of us, I have that I had that idea was like, uh, I probably could write a better story than the one I'm reading right now. <laughs> And, and so I went and uh, I, I bought Stephen King's On Writing and I read it and I was like, all right, I'm good to go. I mean, that's, that's all I need to know. I, re- I read that book and I'm, I'm ready to roll. And, uh, and I'm going to start with an epic fantasy trilogy as one does when you've never written anything creatively before. Uh, of course. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's how it started. <laughs> uh, I ended up writing 
uh, like some post-apoc stuff in between sessions. And then um, it's a bit of a longer story, but I, that got caught up in the, in the KDP gold rush days and, and that uh, sort of one-off project that I was using as a palate cleanser between the Epic Fantasy books ended up getting downloaded, you know, 30 some thousand times during a promotion. And this was 2012. So this was when uh, your books would, in the free ranks, when they came off of free, they would pour it right back over into the paid ranks. Oh my gosh! It was it was unbelievable. I mean, that's they don't call it the gold rush for nothing. But uh, yeah, there were there were a few months where I made you know I made thousands of dollars basically off a free book because it just kind of slid right back into the ranks, and right. there weren't a ton of books up there. Um, right. And uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of how it got started. So would you say that book that first post apoc book was your first success? No, <laughs> I'm still waiting for that one. <laughs> I am. Uh, I, I'm not. I, I've. I've not captured lightning in a bottle. Uh, mm. I, th- that book that I put up, I did not have professionally edited because, well, I'm okay. a writer and yeah. I know how to write, so of course yeah. I wouldn't use an editor. Um, yeah, and uh, and I, I, I got killed on reviews because it clearly needed an editor, and I cleaned it up since, and and, and that sort of thing. But. Uh, no, I'm not one of those. Uh, I'm not one of those indies who had like any kind of success out of the gate. It's just been a slow, steady build. Uh, you know, I left my full-time uh, job in 2017, which was you know almost 10 years after I started drafting my first book. So mm-hmm. I, I was not one of those people who you know ended up getting you know selling a ton of books. I'm not a Jamie when it comes to breaking out of the gate with a big seller. <laughs> I say oh, that with love because yeah, that was thanks. such an accomplishment. Seriously. Thanks. thanks. Well, um, yeah, I thought thinking about the gold rush, I just admire you so much though, because there's so many authors during the, you know, that were really successful during that time that really haven't made the adjustment to the current situation, which is you got to advertise your books to get seen. You can't just put up a free book and you've really done that. I mean, you just didn't give up. I mean, you just have not, you've kept going and um, kept plodding along. And I, I, I really admire that. I think that's, Oh, thanks. I mean, part of it's just being stubborn. I'm just, yeah. stubborn. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but part of it too, is it, and, and I think this is something we'll probably end up talking a little bit more about too. I think there are very few. Again, Jamie, I, in all seriousness, like I think what you've accomplished has been has been really impressive. Because I think for most fiction writers, you need more than just your royalties as a revenue stream mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it's unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one success on one book doesn't necessarily mean success on another book, right. and and there just aren't many pure fiction writers who are making a hundred percent of their income on fiction. So, yeah. um, and I'm certainly in that boat. I you know mm-hmm. I do developmental editing, I do coaching, I do mastermind groups. I'm uh, writing a lot on fiction, do mm-hmm. a lot of events, and so all of that supplements podcasting. You know, all, all of that supplements the fiction. Right. Right. Yeah, and I will say that Jay uh, helped me. Uh, development let it or like pre pre edit and set up my outline for my fourth book and that book was so much easier to write than anything else I've written it was awesome he's really good um, thanks we had fun with that I enjoyed that was that really too. fun yeah because yeah. you you don't normally do romance so I think no it was, it was a challenge <laughs> get you out of your box so. yeah. yeah definitely yeah. Yeah. well so like with helping all these different writers I assume you help people from all different genres right yes so um is there anything like looking at 
as you help people, like, is there anything that you wish you had known about writing and craft? Or can you pick out certain things that you see people doing, common mistakes with writing and craft that you wish you had known or that you wish Uh, people knew? Well, I mean, (laughs) you know, clearly for me, I wish I would have known to hire an editor early on Uh, because there's nothing I can do about it. And I don't live with regret, but I, if I had the, the exposure that that book got, if it wasn't a pile of I won't say it on your podcast, <laughs> then I, I probably would have had years of steady income um, mm-hmm. had it been a quality product and it wasn't. And, mm-hmm. and to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm dismayed when I hear, uh, and I don't hear it often, but I, I still hear writers who say, you know, I don't need an editor. I have, you know, Grammarly or Hemingway. Mm-hmm. And then I have, you know, my aunt Flo gra- got a, her <laughs> English degree in yeah. 1983. And so she looks it over and I'm like, and I cringe because yeah, me too. Mm. That's you know, I just yeah. don't, I just don't believe you you can cut it in this day and age and in, in the marketplace. And I don't think it's fair to ask people to open their wallet if you're not putting out a quality product. Yeah, that's yeah. it for me too. I just am like I, I was doing a thing last time doing Becca Simes Write Better Faster, and it was a question was why do you want to you know take so much time and and that was one of my thoughts. If I'm going to ask people to pay money for something I'm producing, then it needs to be the best it can be. I, Absolutely. I just feel like, it, yeah. I feel it's a little unethical for me to do that, for me to yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think too, if you look across the landscape at the other uh, creative industries that involve storytelling, almost none of them are solo endeavors, right? right. Like you, if, you, right. if you're looking at TV, you got a writer's room. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at, a, at, a, at screenwriting, there are dozens and dozens of hands touching that mm-hmm. story before mm-hmm. it ever sees the production room. Right. Um, in music, you know, you, you, you very rarely do you have one musician who, you know, writes all the music, records it and performs it. Like, mm-hmm. um, so I, I don't know. I think, it's a, it, I think it's a bit naive to think that as a novelist, you somehow have this special ability to, <laughs> to be the only one to, to, you know, put your eyes on a story and have it be good. Right. Yeah. I do think that there are some genres though, that because they are so ravenous, they are a little more lenient. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're willing to accept uh, some mistakes and so, some things because they want that they want the content um, and they want it fast. So, well, and, and that's um, an interesting observation, Jamie, because I think what you're talking about is the difference between developmental editing and proofreading, right? Yes. So a lot of writers just consider those to be the same thing and they're not, mm-hmm. right? Mm-mm. Like no. you can have, um, you can have a, an algorithm or um, a, an app or, or Aunt Helen proofread, mm-hmm. like that's fine. <laughs> but that is not the same as developmental editing, which no. is, does the story work? Yeah. Is the character arc engaging? And that's the kind of thing where I, I really feel like you just need somebody else there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it helps if you have somebody, like if you write a series and you've got somebody who's familiar with all your work, because then they can go, oh, you know, back in book two, this person already went here and you're saying mm-hmm. this is the first time they traveled there. So those um, continuity things. Yeah. That's a good point, know, Sarah. Logistics, apps, continuity. Yeah. yeah you need yeah, someone to catch yeah. that stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So what about marketing? What do you wish you'd known about it? <laughs> oh my. Marketing. Time. Yeah. I was going to say, how, how long do we have here? Um, I, I wish I had known that I would have to be running paid ads because I probably would have never gotten into this business. I, I hate hard. paid advertising I with know. the force of a thousand sons. 
It's very artistically sad. Thank you. I seriously hate it more than anything. I can't, um, I don't know. Like I'm I'm even to a point now where I'm pushing back a little bit on when I hear like, well, you have to have paid advertising. I, I'm hoping that bubble's about to burst. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hoping that we're getting to the point where the, the ad platforms are so saturated that only the biggest corporations and publishers are going to be able to afford them because it's just, you know, it's, it's whispering into a hurricane at this point. And I, I just don't, um, I don't see a future. I don't see a sustainable future for it unless you're going to, you know, maybe if you're, if you're going to be bidding five and $6 a click, you know, on on CPC ads, you Mm -hmm. might get somewhere, but the average person, average author, I just don't see a future in it. Right. Right. And, And I, I hate it because I do say that, you know, sometimes when I speak or whatever, that to be seen, you have to, I think you have to advertise, but that's hard. It's hard for me to say because I didn't have any money when I started. And, and the, and like you said, most people put up their first book and they still don't have any money for quite a while, you know, till the third book or so comes out. And so I do hate that. And I do think you're right that the advertising market is much more saturated. People are just more savvy about advertising. And I've even pulled back uh, some of my advertising. One of my goals this year is to make more and spend less. Um, I think we all have that goal, but I did spend a lot last year. Um, you know, 35, 40%. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I spent a lot of money, but it got me the visibility that I needed that I hopefully can, you know, now pull back a little bit, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, and, and and I want to be. I'm not saying you shouldn't invest in your business. Correct. Yeah. Right. Like I'm. I'm not saying that you should expect to. You know, if you open a bakery, you can't expect to get the building lease free and and have free flour delivered. Mm-hmm. Like I think there are some authors who go to the other extreme and they just expect to be able to enter a marketplace without mm-hmm. investing anything. And yeah. that's not how business works. No, Sorry. it's not. Yeah. You know? But I think there are other ways you can invest your money. So if it's not paid ads. You know, you, you could um, you can invest in content marketing. You know, you could yeah. invest in writing my, writing more stories as lead generation. Mm-hmm. You could invest in time, whether it's a podcast or a YouTube mm-hmm. channel. Uh, I think there are other ways um, mm-hmm. besides paid advertising, and I, and I really think that's kind of the future because mm-hmm. when everyone can advertise, then everyone will advertise. Yeah, and yeah. so you you have to be able to bring your own unique whatever it is mm-hmm. to your potential readers. And yeah. uh, I don't know, yeah. but, you know, I, I think part of me too is I, I might get to the point uh, too where it, I might have to hire someone to do some mm-hmm. paid ads because mm-hmm. the other piece of it for me is I don't want to be an advertiser. I don't want to be a marketer. Mm-hmm. I recognize that that's needed, but like, mm-hmm. I don't want to have to learn the platform. That's a completely different skill set than right. writing. And I would much rather pay someone to do it and not have to learn it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about some of the other things that you do. So you do a lot of podcasting, right? I do. Yeah. How many podcasts do you have? I have four right now. Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> So, so no wonder you don't have time to run ads. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's talk about podcasting and because that's basically a way to do content marketing and it's yeah. not ads. So like, what do you wish you had known about podcasting or what advice do you have for podcasters? People maybe who are thinking about podcasting. Yeah, we're all ears. Yeah, <laughs> I would say, and I, I hope this is, isn't coming too late for you two, but there's a, uh, you've we already can, started. We can um, pivot. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, uh, a common term in the, in the industry called pod fade, and it is exactly what it, you think it is. Uh, yeah. 
you know, there's a lot of statistics around people who get really excited about a podcast and they mm-hmm. start it and then uh, they realize nobody's listening yeah. and, and they quit. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, that's most of it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing about podcasting that I think is important for people to recognize is that it's incredibly difficult to monetize straight off the mm-hmm. podcast. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. in my case, I have four podcasts. All four of them are dealing with the life of a writer, mm-hmm. the author life, right? Mm-hmm. And so any developmental editing I do, any coaching, any client work, any events, a lot of people are getting to know me through the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, podcasting is very intimate in that people have you in their ear on a weekly basis and they mm-hmm. feel like they know you. Right. Uh, and, and I think that makes it much easier to develop rela- business relationships with the people who, who you are serving. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I say all that because I think it's important to recognize that uh, it's, it's incredibly hard to keep a podcast going, especially if you're doing it by yourself. You two have yeah. each other, which is definitely a bonus. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's, you know, you can't start a podcast thinking it is going to be the revenue generator. It can oh, yeah. be a lead generator, but I mm-hmm. don't think it can be a revenue generator for most people. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, I mean, Sarah has some nonfiction stuff. I don't have any nonfiction stuff. I do do some coaching, you know, for new, new, new authors or authors that are needing some ad coaching and stuff. But yeah, for me, it was just something to do to give back to the community because I think that, you know, well, Sarah and I both, we've just gotten so much from podcasts that we feel like, mm-hmm. you know, yes. we wanted to do talk one. to great authors and get to yeah. know people and, talk about subjects that we're all interested in. So yeah, right. It's right. I think that's gotta be the, and it, it's motivation. a great time for it. You know, I, yeah. I, you know, I, it's a lot of times I'll hear, I'll talk to people and they'll say, Oh, there's already so many writing podcasts. I'm like, so what? Like, yeah, exactly. you're, you're bringing your own unique spin, take perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. Are, are you going to start a, a completely original podcast? Probably not. No, <laughs> but that no, doesn't mean people won't listen to it. Right. Right. And right. if it's completely original, there may not be an audience for it. You know? Yes. I mean, there might be, but overall, most, you know, categories have people that are already interested. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I've made that mistake. Like I, I started <laughs> one podcast um, that's, that's no longer, I, I have several podcasts that aren't running anymore, but one of them was, uh, it was called Dark Arts Theater. And my idea was I was going to create a podcast for fans of both horror and heavy metal music. Because I thought, oh, well, that's a good sort of cross yeah. there. I did interviews. It was video. I was like doing on location, multi-angle <laughs> cameras and like, and nobody paid any attention to it. Oh. And, and what I realized was that it wasn't, I, I found out later that it wasn't necessarily horror and heavy metal, not horror novels, it was horror movies. Mm. And, and so uh, none of the people who I was doing the podcast for were really reading books. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I had this completely original, super cool idea. Everyone yeah. loved it. The people, my friends who I shared it with, you know, they yeah. loved it, but like yeah. it, it got no one listened or, or watched it because yeah. there was no audience for it. Oh, that's yeah. great. That's so funny though. But that's true. Yeah. But movie people who watch movies aren't necessarily people who read books. Yeah. No, they're but, not. <laughs> yeah. And usually they're not almost across the board. Not, yeah. not totally. Yeah. Well, the music thing kind of brings me to the next question, which is co-writing because I know you co-write with uh, Zach Bohannon and you've done, you've co-written with several other people, right? Lots. Yeah. yeah lots yeah, of people. Yeah, That's Glenn a, James, Joanna yeah. Penn. Yeah. And, um, but I've heard you say that that sort of came out of the fact that you're a musician and 
you know, can you just sort of tell us how you see those two things, you know, transferring or, or the information or the skill set you have as a musician and being a band member translates to being a co-writer? Yeah, definitely. I started in bands as a teenager mm-hmm. and was in and out of bands my entire life. And right. when you're a musician, especially in a band, as opposed mm-hmm. to say a singer songwriter, mm-hmm. you, the very nature of what you're doing is collaboration. You know, right. you get in a room with four or five or six people and you, you try and figure out, all right, what, what kind of story do we want to tell? And like mm-hmm. someone starts with a, a drum beat or a mm-hmm. guitarist starts with a riff or the singer brings a lyric in and, mm-hmm. and typically what happens, and I think this is why people continue to join bands and perform <laughs> because it's so fun. It's, yeah. it's so intellectually engaging. It's so much fun. Mm-hmm. And what you end up with is far better than what you could have uh, produced on your own. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the technology is such now that you can sit in your bedroom with a, with a computer or your phone and you can make music, wow. but it's not the same as getting in a room with other people and mm-hmm. debating ideas and changing things and building on what someone else has already said. And you right. just end up with a completely different experience, a positive one. Mm-hmm. And so that then that's kind of what you do when you co-write then um, with your other co-writing authors. But Zach, you and Zach kind of have had, you, you have a long running series, uh, don't you? Yeah, Zach and I have co-written a lot of books together. We have, I think, four different trilogies right now, okay. and, yeah. and some other odds and ends that are out there. And uh, we, we were we became friends. Uh, we were kind of friends first, and then um, we had a lot of the same sort of life goals and aspirations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm slightly older than him. He likes mm-hmm. to joke that I'm a lot older. I'm not <laughs> slightly older. Let's uh, get that on the record right now. Yeah, I just want that to be on the record that uh, I have a four in front of my age and he's got a three, but it's just, yeah. just slightly. Yeah. That's not uh, that yeah. different. No, <laughs> no, no. Well, um, what, do, what do you wish you'd known about co-writing? That you- what do I, um, I wish I would have known that most of them crash and burn. Uh, yeah. that, that's what people, you know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, for romance writers, uh, you have to have your heart broken before, you know, you gotta you have can. that black moment. Yeah. yeah, you do. And, and, uh, it, no joke. I mean, uh, people only see the published successful collaborations. Mm-hmm. They don't see the ones that, that either spun out of control, right. went, went down in flames, withered right. away. Right. Uh, I'm guessing I probably have one published collaboration for every six to nine that I started or tried. Oh, wow. uh, there's just, it's just the nature of it. And, mm-hmm. and especially when you're talking about independent uh, publishers or writers where there's no external uh, constrictions on it. Yeah. It's yeah. completely up to you, mm-hmm. the two of you, you know, things happen and yeah. um, it's hard. Yeah. I, I can see that. I, I totally can see that. Yeah. So um, on running, so what I know about you, I, we do know each other somewhat, but you're an introvert. I mean, you're, you're, you're a self-proclaimed introvert and, but you run conferences. Yes. Like how do I've, I've always (laughs) been really, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I've always been really fascinated by that because I know that just physically and emotionally and meant, you know, mentally it takes a lot out of you, but you do it anyway. And so can you tell us about that and why you decided? I can try. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think the older I get, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to, not starting to, I am questioning my own beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think more so than I did when I was younger. And 
I think for a while, especially in my 30s, I was convinced that, well, I'm an introvert. And so therefore, leave me alone. Don't look mm-hmm. at me. Don't talk mm-hmm. to me. And, uh, and I sort of took that label. And I, and I think I took advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And now as I'm getting inching closer to 50, <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm starting to say, well, you know what? Um, yeah, crowds will, I get overstimulated in crowds, mm-hmm. the noise mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the, the senses get overstimulated. Mm-hmm. And that means I have to rest, but that doesn't mean I can't function. And I, yeah. and I think yeah. I'm sort of questioning my own BS around some of that and said, oh, good. no, you know what? You, you can do this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, you know, maybe I'm not as pure of an introvert as I originally thought I was. And in right. fact, the, the last authors on a train that Zach and I just finished up last month, I told him, I said, um, yeah, I feel really good. Like we, we finished, we went, we went to, uh, we flew to LA and then we took people on the train from LA to San Francisco. And then we rented a, a, a big mansion in Oakland and we spent like four days together doing wow. workshops and co-writing mm-hmm. with people. And we were living in the same, like we shared the house, bedrooms wow. and everything. Mm-hmm. And I finished that and I felt great. So yeah, I think um, whether you're an introvert or extrovert, I think it's, it's always good to sort of, to, to kind of double back and, and, mm-hmm. and just question like, Am I really this way? Can, mm-hmm. Do I have the ability to change? Can I can I grow? I, I think we all can, and uh, and I'm I'm still a work in progress. I think we all are, but I right. I don't necessarily fall into that party line of like pure introvert anymore. Right. What's the hardest thing about running a conference? Um, just in general, you know that yeah. maybe you didn't think think about or. Yeah, it depends. You know, the authors on a train. We're only talking about um, you know seven, eight, mm-hmm. a dozen people, the, mm-hmm. the career author summit, that's 125. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those are the, the, the ends of the spectrum as far mm-hmm. as our events go. We prefer the ones that are smaller, the ones that mm-hmm. are like a, a dozen or so people, because it, you know, you certainly get to know people a whole lot better. You develop right. relationships. I think the hardest part is the logistics. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a, I come from a, because I come from a teaching background, I'm a pretty good project manager. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I'm very conscientious uh, about checklists and making sure everything gets done. But I could imagine if you weren't so organized, it could be a nightmare yeah. because there's just so much. And, and some of them are a real challenge. Like, you know, Zach and I doing authors on a train, not only we, had we never been to the place or done that trip, but we were going with our attendees. We couldn't even like get there early and set it up, you know? You're yeah, so, like, wait in the car just a minute. Yeah, we're gonna run. Like, I hope this house is okay. I mean, we've never been in it. Uh, and, like we're, we're getting on the, we're getting on the train and they're asking us questions. We're like, we don't know. I think there's definitely a bit of, uh, you have to let you have to let go of some control freakery, and you have to be willing to take some some chances, and 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 on being very pragmatic. Like for for a lot of events, you got to pony up some money. Like yeah. you've got to reserve places, you've got to put deposits down, and a lot mm-hmm. of times you have to do that before you even have a landing page up, before you sell a single ticket. Mm-hmm. And these are all things to consider when when you're yeah. planning events. I, I think yeah. they're great. I think there's plenty of room for lots of events, but there's a there's a lot to think about too. Yeah, yeah. I think that could be really interesting, and I imagine that you are much closer to the people you've done these events with. Like you feel like have a close relationship probably with a lot of them, right? Yeah, it's really, it's really amazing because so many of them uh, come back again and again. You yeah. know, like the, we see them at the Career Author Summit and, and then they're on Authors on a Train or then they're at Rock Epoch or Sci-Fi Seattle and like, uh, and we have a just, just really nice, I don't even call it a community, it's more like a tribe or a clan even. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a very small group of people and, and we see them 
in many places. And that's very heartwarming to us because we know that authors don't have big budgets. They have to be yeah. very conscientious mm-hmm. about where they spend their dollars, especially for professional development or mm-hmm. working on their craft. And, and uh, we take that responsibility very seriously. That's yeah. great. That That's sounds great. really cool. Yeah. So I want to go on a train. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could write a thing because Jamie and I were just talking about how like we need like, we like our quiet and we like to focus. I don't know if I could do it, but it sounds like a great fun activity. So I have to well, we've, we've changed it a little bit. We had, uh, when we first did the authors on a train, um, when Zach and I did it with Joanna and Lindsay, we went from Chicago to new Orleans and we tried getting work done on the, like real writing right. done on the train co-writing and that was really hard so over mm-hmm. the years we've learned that and now really the purpose is the train ride they are really more about uh getting to know each other so we have people who co-write and we put them together we sit them next to each other on the train and we give them some prompts and some things to do but it's really just about getting to know them and then the writing that's that's what comes later once we get to yeah. the destination yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> so um, one of our other questions we want to ask, we'll switch tracks just a little bit, is um, have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, this, is, this, is, this is kind of a tough one to talk about. Uh, I, I did not follow the, the standard advice. <laughs> I did not save up six months of salary. I did not uh, start making enough money um, to sidestep into, into, into my author career. Basically, I left my full-time salary job when I was earning about $200 a month in royalties with no savings. And wow. I did that at a time when I have two kids in private school, a mortgage, and a wife. Wow. And, uh, so you were incredibly brave. Well, I don't... <laughs> brave or stupid? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> The reason why I, it turned out to be a good thing, and, and this I, I'm 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 being very delicate here for a reason because I I don't want to give people the wrong impression. Mm-hmm. I um my wife only makes enough money to pay for our health insurance. We can't mm-hmm. we can't live on her salary, mm-hmm. and um and I and like I said, I had two kids in private school, uh, teenagers, which means they eat like pounds and pounds of food every day. Yep. Uh, and I think for me. I did not have any safety net and yeah. that's what I needed I, because I, I don't think I would have been uh, as determined as I had to be if I knew that, oh, well, my wife makes enough and we could get by on her salary or, right. or even temporarily like, oh, I, I can buy myself three months because of my wife. Like, no, I had, I had zero. I, had, I was living on the razor's edge and, wow. and to a degree still do. Um, and, and I don't think that's necessarily good advice, but I think for me, I needed that um, mm-hmm. to, to change. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I had been in the same in this profession for 22 years mm-hmm. and I'd gotten golden handcuffs and I was comfortable mm-hmm. and I uh, wasn't growing and I was miserable and my health was, was bad because of it. And, uh, and that's what it took, but I don't necessarily think that's good advice. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you had a spouse that supported that. I mean, I can't figure out why I, I have no <laughs> idea why well, she would support that. I've never <laughs> met her, but it's because she spends half her time in heaven because she must be an angel. <laughs> hey, you can use that as a song lyric, lyric if you want to. Thank you. I might play it for her. She'd love to hear that, especially with your nice Southern accent. There. She would like that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's a lot of times when I'm at conferences and the few times I've spoken and, you know, people have come up when they're, you know, either the primary breadwinner or their salary is, you know, 
needed in the house. And I'm like, dude, do not do this without the support of your spouse. I mean, they may not 100% support you, but you need that. And you need to maybe take baby steps towards this. Um, because if not, it is scary. And yeah, I mean, it did work out for you, but you're right. A lot of people, it wouldn't have worked out. Well, and I guess the flip side to that is I started writing in my, my spare time, uh, you know, like 10 years before I left my, my full-time job. So I wasn't necessarily making enough royalties to just sidestep into it, but my wife saw my dedication. Mm-hmm. Um, she knew with an edu- with an education background that I was I was not just going to rely on fiction royalties. That I was going to do coaching and and client work. And so I think she saw the potential there. But but nonetheless, that was still um, she she never once um, hesitated. She never once questioned it. She's like, That's awesome, go for it, do it. And I I think because of that, I felt even more responsibility. Like I couldn't couldn't let her down. Couldn't let right. my family down. Um, but it was looking back on it now, like, um, that could have, that was, that was the decision was a mistake. The outcome wasn't, but the decision was definitely not a good one. Well, so then if we flip that, what did you, is there something you've done? You thought this is a home run and it just, just bombed (laughs) a series. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did a a series called American demon hunters and my idea was, it was going to be like a shared universe. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not like the way um, Michael Anderley and Craig Martell are doing m- much, much smaller scale. Mm-hmm. But my mm-hmm. idea was I was going to have other writers write in it. I would pay them, not ghostwrite, but I would pay them. Their name would be on it, but it would be a shared universe. Mm-hmm. And I would own all the IP, which was a great plan until it didn't sell Jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had paid thousands and thousands of dollars to other writers, to editors, to cover designers. Right. And and that series that series will never earn out. And I thought for sure that was going to be a home run. Yeah, yeah. We just never know. No, just no. I know. mean, it looked yeah. great on paper. Yeah, I've tried multiple times. Like I've I've changed the cover two or th- four times. I think. I mean, mm-hmm. categories, meta description, rewrites, repackaging, box sets, audio. Nothing. Nothing moves the needle. It's completely dead series. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes which kind of goes back to the whole quitting before you have a backup. Yes. Because <laughs> yes. you just don't know. Like I I had no way of knowing that brides would be a thing. And the thing I'm working on now, I think is gonna be you know, it could be a home run, but I know enough now to know that may not happen. So you gotta <laughs> yeah. you gotta kinda temper your expectations. So yep. yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so it sounds like, um, like you're probably not doing that series anymore. The one that. No, I'm not writing well. anything new in it. No. <laughs> so, so is there anything else that like you've stopped doing like social media or certain tasks that you've thought, like you look back on and you go, you know, that was not a good use of my time and I don't need to do this anymore. Um, well, yeah, I don't, I, I, uh, I left Facebook a while ago, over a year ago. I just was sick of it. I was sick of the all the nonsense that comes along with it, the political stuff, the, the, the cronyism, the, the, the bickering. Like I just, I was done with that. I, I should have left that a whole lot sooner. Uh, I'm not a big fan of social media. I, I had to be honest with myself and say, I really don't enjoy it. And if I don't enjoy doing it, it doesn't matter what kind of you know, strategy it is. If you don't enjoy it, um, people know that. And yeah. And so I use Twitter now to push out podcast episodes and I retweet here and there. Um, but for the most part, um, yeah, I, I, I really don't, I really don't use social media at all. That's actually kind of refreshing to hear. I mean, I know yeah. some authors will be like, yes, 
That sounds great. Well, again, <laughs> if you enjoy it, there's nothing wrong with it. But I think right. if you're forcing yourself to do something you don't enjoy because you think that's what you have to do, that's where you get into right. problems. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'm sorry. The neighbors have brought in their long crew. And so <laughs> that's, why tug was, that's why Tug was barking because people are actually breathing and living their life on the other side of our door. Nice. But now they're, yeah. Um, so sorry about that. It's going to be in the background, I'm afraid. But what changes have you seen in your genre? And you write multiple genres, so pick one or you can tell us all of them uh, <laughs> over the course of your author career and how have you adapted to it? Yeah, uh, I've, I've written in, in different genres, but they're all pretty close. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look at horror and dark fantasy mm-hmm. are kind of the same thing. And, and post-apoc and dystopian sci-fi is, is a lot mm-hmm. like horror. So if I kind of lump all of that together, I think that the biggest change I've seen, and I think this is true across the board, is just the sheer volume mm-hmm. of, of books that mm-hmm. have, you know, I, I was, I, I published in 2009 on KDP. Uh, last Last year was my tenth anniversary of of wow. entering this game, and just the the overwhelming volume of books that's available mm-hmm. now is is kind of mind blowing and yeah. uh, and it's hard and and I think you know one of the things that I'm doing my newest podcast is uh, Writer's Inc with J D Barker and J D is a hybrid author but he's a very successful in the traditional world he mm-hmm. wrote the prequel of uh, Dracula with Dacker Stoker. He co-writes with James Patterson. And what J.D. Barker is helping me with is getting a manuscript up to the point where I can uh, try and get an agent and, and possibly a traditional deal. So part of the way I'm mitigating that is I'm not closing off any opportunities. I'm not a flag-waving indie. I was never in that battle. I, I always yeah. think like every book is its own decision. Right. You can have one book and you can self-publish it. And you can have another book and you can and try and get an agent for right. it. Right. So I, I'm trying to diversify. I'm trying to look at other ways uh, because I can't change how many books are being published. Right. I can't make my book magically rise up out of the search bar on Amazon, even with paid ads sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think for me, I'm looking across, um, you know, everywhere and seeing whether whether their options are there. And I don't know I, if JD can help me and I can get a, a decent manuscript written. I'll be curious to see how it plays in in the trad world. Right, and that is that's a really good point. Because I I have gone on the record before of saying that I would not take a trend. I mean, you know, I'm not interested. But when you think about the number of readers that you reach, and then the millions of readers that we have that don't have a clue who I am, have a clue who you are, serious. I mean, we can't reach all those readers by ourselves. So a traditional publisher may have. But it just may be another avenue to find those readers. And, yeah, that's right. And again, it's one book, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. if you, if you get into a position, you know, where you get a five or a six figure advance, mm-hmm. like you're not going to take that. You're like, no, I'm indie. Like, yeah. no, I, I think you're, that's like life changing money for, for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. And, and it's one book. And so mm-hmm. if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You self publish the next one. Like, I, I just don't think it's a, it's a false dichotomy. You know, I, I, I don't think it's a choice. And, and quite frankly, most of us don't have a choice. Like we can't choose to traditionally publish no, unless no. you already have an agent and that agent right. has already yeah. sold your manuscript. Then it's right. a choice. But yeah. 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 if you're on the slush pile, you don't have a choice yet. No, not yet. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. yeah. Just check those uh, revision clauses and make sure you can get your work back. Like if they don't 
Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a big deal because then you can give your work to them for a while. And then once it kind of tapers off, you can get it back. So yeah. It's the the thing. other thing t- I think two authors get so hung up on is it's, they're just words. Yeah. You just make more of them, you know, like yeah. even, even, <laughs> that's what we do. That's, that's yep. supposed to be what we enjoy doing. So even like, if you like American demon hunters, you have a series of the bombs. I'm just like, okay, they're words. Yeah. I'll just we go write going. more. Like those ones didn't connect and maybe others will. Uh, yeah. And that's been my approach from day one. Cause I, I've never had the breakout hit. I've never had the big spike. So for me, it's just, all right, what's the next book? What's the next story? Let's get to it. Yeah. So I think you may have just answered this, but um, one of our last questions is, what's the best thing you've done to set yourself up for success in your author career? So would you say it's just keeping on? I think more specifically, it gets to this idea of, of diversifying your revenue and, your, and having multiple mm-hmm. income streams, mm-hmm. even little things. Like if you uh, know a, a podcast with affiliate income, you know, maybe mm-hmm. that affiliate income is $17 a month. But, you know, you have seven or eight of those and you have royalties coming from independently published books. Maybe you have an advance from a traditional publisher. Um, Maybe you do client work. Maybe you do editing. Maybe you do graphic design. And pretty soon, all of that is making up uh, your revenue and it's how you make a living. And what's really important about that is if any one of those revenue streams dries up, you're not in trouble. If you have a full-time job and you lose it, you're in trouble. If you, uh, if you are relying uh, 100% on uh, royalties for one book mm-hmm. and that book starts to tail off, then, then what do you do? You know? So I think if you can have um, revenue diversity of multiple income streams from different places, I, I think that's the best thing you can do to set yourself up uh, for success. And what, you, what each of us has to do is you have to figure out what that thing is that you do right. that sets you apart that's related. So for me, it's teaching. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a master's degree. I taught for for two decades. So Mm -hmm. I can parlay that skill into the, uh, the, the, the publishing and, and, uh, and and writing and publishing world. Mm -hmm. So, so maybe you're an artist. And so that for you, that, that skill set is cover design, but, um, you got to find that you got to find that skill (laughs) that's, that's tangential, but still related and and leverage it. And that's, I think the best way to, to get success. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a great, great advice. But, yeah, that is great advice. And I, I, remit, I just think about a lot of times what Lindsay Broker said to you when you when they were talking to you about going full-time and, and you said something about, well, what if the money's not there? And she's like, you just make more money. And yes. I, <laughs> I think about that a lot because I've, ha- I've been in situations like that and I'm like, okay, I just have to make more money. I just have yeah. to figure out a way to make more money. And then... You know, and sometimes, and a lot of times, it doesn't have anything to do with writing. Uh, me actually putting words on a page, right? It's doing something else, yes, in the writer world, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. It show. takes a while to get to that, and and it I does. know, you know, Lindsay kind of uh, she downplays that comment, and and it, you know, and I, but it's true, you know, like yeah, I it gets to true. a certain yeah. point where you use you, you're like, okay, well. Uh, I just have, I'm going to have to go do this now. And, and, and Rachel and I on, on the writer's well have talked a number of times and said, and she said like, yeah, if I go get a job at Trader Joe's, I'll go get a job at Trader Joe's. Like I'll, or I'll work at Starbucks or like, you just do what you have to do. And, uh, I think for me, I'm much less precious about that than I used to be. I, I used to think like, no, only writing in a cabin on a typewriter by myself <laughs> is, is, is like a legitimate career. Now I'm like, no, screw it. If I get, you know, money from Patreon that pays the bills just like money from book sales. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think "precious" is the the word there because not just about 
that, but about our words and everything yeah. else. I mean, we just can't be precious with it. We've got to hustle. I mean, if you're going to be an indie author, you have to hustle. Yeah. I and I don't think it's that different from like in the like business world now. Everything's a little um, not as predictable and stable as it used to be. So Correct. a lot of people, you know, like they think they may have a job, but most people are not going to stay in the same job for their whole career. So, you know, it's, it's stuff that we do. We do all this extra things and maybe side hustles, but it's going on in the business world too. So I was oh, curious. It sure is. Yeah. yeah so sure is. I was curious about, um, so when you, when you started as an indie and you first kind of went out on your own, were you doing your fiction and did you also at that time start kind of your side hustles and all these, the teaching and stuff. Did you do that from the beginning or did you add that later? No, that came later uh, okay. when, you know, I was clearly not making enough money on, on the fiction uh, to, to pay the bills and, and yeah. get where I wanted to be. And I, I fought it for a long time and I give a lot of credit to, to Zach because he was the one that said, you're a good teacher. You need to, you, you need to do this. You need to do more of it. And I, I was being precious. No, I, you know, I'm a writer now. I'm an I'm author. <laughs> I'm an author. I don't, you know, and I was like, I had to get over myself and, uh, yeah. and he helped me with that. And I think yeah. once that was a turning point for me, that was a moment where I'm like, okay, you know what? So, so some of the time I, I spend with clients, that's okay. You know, mm -hmm. um, I can still, I'm still doing my writing. I'm still in charge of my time. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, that, that was the biggest thing is I wanted independence. I wanted to be able to determine what I was going to work on and when. And I have that. And I'm grateful for it. And I might not have it tomorrow, but I have it now. So I'll just enjoy it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's great. Yeah. Nathan Van Koops talks about that in our interview with him that, um, you know, he, he still has a part-time job. And that's by choice because he, yeah. he likes having, being able to step outside of this author thing to do something else he loves and then step back in it. And I think that's important. I mean, it's important yeah. for creativity. You know, if you're wired that way, it's just, yeah. So that's yeah. I, I, there's too, there's too much emphasis, I think. Uh, and Zach and I have talked about this too. Uh, we don't, uh, on on the, how many figures author are you? And, yeah. you know, other there are, there are some of us who just don't define success that way. I, right. It's nothing against right. people who, are doing that well. That's great for them. For me, success isn't how many figures I've earned. Success is I've attended every single one of my son's jazz band concerts. I've gone to every one of my daughter's lacrosse games. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of my time. Like to me, that's success. And yeah. am I, you know, am I making less than I could in a, in a corporate world? Probably, but like, that's not my measure of success. Mm -hmm. And then, and I'm not measuring myself against how many figures I have uh, in yeah. front of my, my royalty statement. I yeah. think that's great. I think that's a great way to end. Um, <laughs> so, Jay, tell us how people can find you. Yeah, the easiest thing to do is go to theauthorlife.com. Uh, that's where I have links to all my podcasts and the events and career author and all, all, the, all the stuff I'm doing. That's mostly for writers. Okay. All right. Awesome. That's great. Well, thanks for being with us. We've enjoyed this. It's been great talk. Oh, so, so great talking to both of you. Thanks so much. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.